Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and really glad that you've tuned in today because we have good news to share with you. We do each and every Friday here on the Bottom Line Show. We're also going to take a look at what happens when uh, the, uh, well, let's say, what happens when things don't exactly go your way and yet you are looking at, you know, words that even even Jesus had to face, you know, in terms of uh, the cup that is before you, you know, and, and the great words from the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying to his Lord, uh, to his Father, rather, and he says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. What happens when we are facing circumstances that we really don't want to have to face? And God says, my strength is sufficient for you. You know, this whole Lenten season is so important for us because it really helps us boil our radio, our CPR, our, our, our relationship with God down to the brass tacks. You know, what, who is Jesus Christ to us? And K-Bright Radio, uh, which is the flagship affiliate for the Bottom Line Show, uh, been on the air since 1980 uh, as Crawford Broadcasting uh, here in Southern California, started playing Christian music, and then the legendary Rich Bueller came onto the scene. Uh, started working for Mr. Crawford and, and made a, the appeal, made the pitch and said, what if you let me go on the air? I've got a pastoral background. I worked in top 40 music radio for a number of years, which he did, KFWB. Um, let, let's try doing a talk format. And at the time, Christian teaching and talk was just starting to happen. Dr. Dobson with Focus on the Family and Chuck Swindoll with New Standard for Living that became Insight for Living and John MacArthur and Jack Hayford were waiting in the wings. And of course, Ministries like Haven of Rest had been on for quite some time, the Biola Hour, and they were all taking shape into this new fangled way of doing it where Al Sanders was the pioneer from Ambassador Advertising. He was going to the First Evangelical Free Church in Fullerton at the time. His wife, Margaret, was the organist, and they had this hot new pastor named Chuck Swindoll. And um, by the way, if, in case you're wondering, it actually is pronounced Swindle, but kind of a Southern Texas twang to it. But Al was the one, from what I understand, who said, no, it's Swindoll, because no one wants to hear from a pastor whose last name is Swindle. Anyway, so uh, KBRT, we launched uh, in 1980, and then the Talk from the Heart format about a year later. And this program, The Bottom Line Show, occupies not only the time slot, but the studio of Talk from the Heart. And I, I feel Rich's presence with us each and every day here on the program. Uh, Talk from the Heart aired its last on September 16, 2011, the Bottom Line Show was born the following Monday, and the first guest was Rich Bueller. And one of the cornerstones of what we talk about here each and every day is the gospel and what the gospel entails. I mean, we're coming up. Christmas Day is important to celebrate the birth of Christ, the uh, the incarnation, the virgin birth. Um, you know, born not of a woman but of the Holy Spirit. And we celebrate the fact that our Lord and Savior was born and brought into the world. That's the beginning of God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son. He had to be born. And instead of just dropping him in uh, all Melchizedek-like, where Jesus shows up ruling and reigning, he was born of a virgin, um, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and, you know, had flesh and bones and tendons and muscles and tears and blood, just like the rest of us do in human form. But 33 years later... Uh, it was Jewish officials who said, wait, you keep blaspheming, you, you keep claiming to be the son of God, and you should be put to death for that, but our court doesn't have any way of doing so, so we'll bring you before Pontius Pilate, we'll bring you before Rome, and they can sentence you to death, and Pilate did everything he possibly could 
of course, to keep that from happening, even releasing the worst of the worst prisoner, Barabbas, a political insurrectionist who they thought there's no way this guy is going to be, they would choose him over Jesus, and yet they did. And so, because crowds don't think, crowds react. And, and of course, God's will is perfect, and because God's sovereign, he always gets what he wants, and he, what he needed to happen was for Jesus, the perfect sinless lamb, of God to go to the cross and pay the penalty for your sin and for my sin and for all of our sin. Takes away the sin of the world. Now that doesn't mean there's no more sin in the world. It means that there's no more penalty of sin in the world. And for those of us who believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin, believe that with all of my heart. Um, I can't express to you right now what that proclamation means to me. For me to, to say to you, I'm a sinner and I can't save myself and my sins are horrible, and yet my sins are as scarlet. The blood of Jesus washes them white as snow, and if you know anything about science, <laughs> you know that it's physically impossible for human blood to wash anything clean. It's one of the worst stains imaginable. So the idea that God, who operates in a blood currency, says that this blood will wash your stain clean, I, I just, I love the irony there and the way he does that. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to Yours truly is that his death gives me life. His sacrifice gives me a treasure beyond measure. And I'm not trying to be clever by saying it that way. That's just what it is. If you go to kbrightradio.com, by the way, a number of us uh, in, here at the staff have shared what the resurrection means to us. But we'd like to hear what the resurrection means to you. And so we encourage you, you can either go to kbrightradio.com, use the contact us page, you can send us an email with your testimony, what does the resurrection mean to you? Or you can call, uh, we've got a special phone line set up, Crystal and Teresa will be happy to uh, at, help you navigate the website or just to take your, uh, your proclamation right there. Um, 800-227-2337, 800-227-2337 is your resurrection uh, declaration line at the bottom line show and I encourage you, it, it's so important, it's so, life-giving to be able to proclaim that with your brothers and sisters in Christ as we in the church are realizing the need not only to share the gospel with those who don't believe it and don't understand it, to do so with gentleness and respect, which means we don't go in. I remember uh, talking with Dr. Gary Chapman one time, uh, the five love languages guy, and not to be confused with Gary Chapman, the musician. They're both regular contributors to the bottom line, so we have to delineate our Gary Chapmans. But I remember him talking about how we speak lovingly, you know, what words of affirmation really sound like. And he said, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me how many people use such harsh tones with people and then they think they're being very affirming. And he said, I always liken it to when a toddler is taking their first steps and they're learning how to, you know, in this case, express love. And they take a few steps and what do they do? They go toddling around and then they fall right there on their keister, you know? And so what do we say? He says, we don't run over and go, you stupid kid, what's wrong with you? You fell. <laughs> he said, we go, oh, and then we, you know, oh, well, good job. And you, 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 you do that type of thing. And it's so important, I think, when we, the body of Christ, understand that we can lovingly and gently correct each other when we sin, because we still do, and we can help each other into repentance and we can offer forgiveness the same way Christ forgave our sins because this whole paying off of the debt is God forgiving our sin. In the same way someone would say, hey, you got this incalculable debt here, but I'm forgiving all of it. 
that there's a reason why that forgiveness is so important. And so here, this is the good news of this Good News Friday, is the whole idea, the whole concept that we in the body of Christ have of forgiving each other when we sin against each other, not holding it against each other. And it's tough. I had one recently that uh, where there had been an offense committed against me, and doggone it, I was entitled to my indignation. And it took me a good couple of weeks to work through it. I'm just confessing that with you. I mean, it's it's hard. It's frustrating when people are deceitful, and 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 you know, and I I don't ever want to be deceitful against somebody else. But I realized there have been times when unintentionally I might have done or said something that was misinterpreted, and I I need to be sensitive to that. But we've got to take good care of each other in the body of Christ. Now, when it comes to our witness to the world, oftentimes we want to go running around with a flag on fire and torches and you know screaming and yelling, you should know, you should know. I Basically, when I look at the world these days, I hear the words of Jesus on the cross where he says, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. It doesn't mean we condone what they're doing, but it does mean we have a lot more compassion on them as lost people. And I think the greater understanding we have of the resurrection as we come up on Resurrection Sunday on Easter, April 9th, um, this is a great exercise. So I highly, strongly recommend and encourage that you do so. Go to kbrightradio.com, use the Contact Us link to contact us and, um, and let us know what does the resurrection mean to you? What is resurrection, the renewal and resurrection Sunday coming up on April 9th? What does the resurrection mean to you? If you need help getting through and navigating that page, uh, all you have to do is call our special resurrection hotline, 800-227-2337. I should let you know that Crystal and Teresa answer that phone too. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, Good News Friday, uh, we've got some good news for you regarding what happens in the lot that you have? Uh, Dean Jones, the actor, very famously said the way he served God when he was at the top of his game, as uh, starring in all those love bug movies for Disney, and when he was at the lowest point, when no one would hire him, it seemed. He said, I just make sure I eat what God puts on my plate every day. In the same way, what about what happens when Jesus, we see those words of the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's about to be crucified, and he prays earnestly with the intensity that his sweat was like big drops of blood. He says, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But yet not my will, but thy will be done. He prayed that prayer three different times. Uh, Connie Hagen is an author and a counselor who uh, encourages people to deal with uh, what happens when what's in the cup that you're served is not something that you think is really palatable. She's written a book about it. Uh, the book is simply called Drinking the cup you are served. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Connie's going to join me to talk about it coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970. 
800-696-9970 or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Brokenness, grief, shame, they are all a part of life. The question isn't so much whether or not that's going to happen in your life. The question is, how are you going to deal with it? Today here on The Bottom Line Show, we're not going to give you all the answers in 20 minutes. I don't think that's actually possible. But we are going to focus on uh, why it seems like more and more people are dealing with depression and anxiety and PTSD and things of that nature. Uh, Connie Hagen is with me today, and she's going to talk about a brand new book of hers called Drinking the Cup You Are Served, Overcoming Trauma, Doubt, and Despair to Live Again. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Connie Hagen, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about this issue because you have been, you're an ordained minister, you've been in private practice as a licensed professional counselor for nearly 20 years, and you work with women recovering from trauma. Um, You've seen some things happen in the culture and in the church, and especially with the people that you've been seeing over the past many years. What is it that is, what are we missing? Why does it seem like it seemed like more and more people are dealing with depression and anxiety and things of that nature? Well, I'm not so sure it's that we're we're dealing with it more than it's talked about more. Mm. I think mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I talk about in Scripture and bringing the Bible to life and the stories of the characters. As even even in the the times of the Bible, characters there that we we know, David, um, uh, Ruth, and and, her, and Naomi, and um, all of these different characters come to life in our perspective today in our world today. Um, and being able to understand how they, too, walked through depression. They, too, had post-traumatic stress. They, too, experienced maybe uh, shifts in their mood. How do they manage them then? And when you look at them through the lens of psychology or counseling or whatever you want to call it, you can begin to see that it makes sense to our world today. So I think we're just talking about it more. We're more open about it. And certainly as believers, we need to understand what that looks like in terms of Christians and how they walk through their pain. You know, I remember years ago, and this is a kind of a, a goofy way to you know, set this up, but I remember the character of Arthur Fonzarelli on Happy Days. And I remember <laughs> the episode where Fonzie had to admit that he was wrong. And he could not literally speak the word. He said, I was, you know, and it's a, it play, Henry I do Winkler, remember that. plays it so well for a laugh. You know, we laughed at that, but we all knew, well, that's kind of us because we don't like to admit we're wrong. Why does it seem so difficult for people to acknowledge that there's something wrong in their lives and that there is some pain and maybe it's been going on for a while? Like you said, more and more people are just now starting to talk about it. I think for a lot of people, not for everyone, but for most people, they think it's a sign of weakness, that Mm. somehow we should, within our own self, or through reading the Bible, or through support, or whatever, we should be able to overcome whatever is in our way. And I think a lot of people get confused, and they don't understand that the brain is an organ, just like the kidney. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to look at it and treat it that way, but somehow... The brain gets connected with the mind, and we should have control over our mind and control over our behavior. So to say that we're depressed or to say that we have anxiety is some kind of sign that you're just kind of not getting it right. You're not doing Christianity right, Hmm. or you're not allowing God to touch you. So we keep that inward. We try to hide it. Uh, Unlike if you're diagnosed with cancer or you're diagnosed with some other kind of disease, we'd probably get on Facebook and have people bring meals to us and help us out. <laughs> right. It's uh-huh. not really the same when it comes to mental health and mental illness. 
Yeah, and it's something that we do have to deal with. I'm coming up on the fifth anniversary of my open heart surgery, and that was that 90 day period leading up to that was such a revelation, a, kind of a shocking one, that I had the the aortic valve and stenosis, that I had an ascending aneurysm, that if I didn't have either one of these things repaired and replaced, that it would probably we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. And yet, I can only imagine how many people have that level of pain and are kind of hanging back, going, "Well, something's going to." something's going to turn and I just don't want to have to talk to anybody about it. And that's, there's no way. Uh, Connie Hagen is with me today here on the bottom line. We're talking about her new book called drinking the cup. You are served. We have a link for the book up at the bottom show.com of all the cups that you could have started with in this whole journey, Connie, you start with doubt. And I was wondering if you'd kind of explain that to us as kind of like saying, this is the, this is square one, you know, when you have to deal with trauma or some kind of traumatic situation, the doubt oftentimes is the thing that we don't want to have to look at. Absolutely. And if if we doubt God and we doubt who God is and his, and his ability to intervene, then we get stuck. There's not much further we can go, especially as, as believers. Right. And so we have to look at what it is that we really believe and who do we believe God is in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our sorrow. Because, I mean, let's face it, none of us, None of us want to feel pain, especially emotional pain, and we do right. whatever we can to try to avoid it. You know, we medicate it, or we can even cover it up with our actions or behaviors through, through let's say, anger or going inward. And so being able to, number one, address the issue that God is here. He sees you, He hears you, and He's available to help you walk through whatever circumstance, and he's not defined by that circumstance, but he's defined by the nature and the character of who he really is. But so many Mm. times we look at our circumstances and we think, how could a good God let this happen to me? Why? I would get that question numerous times as a therapist. Why would a good God let such a bad thing happen to me? And so we start defining our circumstances through the circumstances, defining who God is through our circumstances. So we have to step back and say we can't do that. Yeah, it's it's important for us to understand, as we're talking with Connie Hagen today here on The Bottom Line, the nature of pain, the nature of suffering, the things that come into our, our world, and especially when you see even like the Apostle Paul saying in Second Corinthians, you know, three times I went to the Lord with this thorn in my flesh, and three times he said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I'm not just going to take take a look at what you see as obvious pain and solve it. But rather, we're going to we're going to deal with it. And when someone experiences, I mean, any painful experience really is traumatic. Talking with Connie Hagen today here on the Bottom Line. The book is called "Drinking the Cup You Are Served," and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Connie, I know for a lot of people, when you're dealing with any kind of pain, um, obviously there's a trauma that has taken place, and uh, sometimes we t- hear the phrase "post-traumatic stress disorder," or, uh, and, and we realize that well, maybe we didn't have as bad a situation as somebody else did, but it's a trauma nonetheless. A lot of people are trying to find normal, if you will, once they get knocked off. Of course. Is that something you recommend? Is it important to try to get to an ordinary uh, stance once you've uh, learned that you really need to recover from a trauma like you might have experienced? Well, everybody, like you said, is trauma is different. We all It all looks different to all of us. Our recoveries are different. How we walk through it is not the same as anyone else. It's, it's unique to ourselves. And one of the things that I tried to tell my clients who would sit across from me and just seem so taken in by their despair so I tell them, just just do the next thing, whatever that is. And for some people, that's just putting their feet on the ground when getting out of bed. 
And what, what we want to do is try to move forward, whatever that looks like, and to, to keep from just remaining stuck or remaining taken under by your despair. So being able to do the next thing is really helpful. And sometimes that's just real normal stuff. Like I said, putting your feet on the ground, taking a mm-hmm. shower, making a cup of coffee, and just moving forward, taking that steps to, to just making your life back to the ordinary. But for many people, that, that just takes a while, looks different. And I think we get uncomfortable with each other's pain and we kind of want to put a timeline on it or we want to give mm. them a platitude and tell them, look, you just need to trust the Lord or you just need to let this go. But instead that becomes inward, a means of, I can't get this right. Mm-hmm. So it just looks different for everybody. So being able to kind of sit in that moment of pain and be able to sit in that moment of uncertainty, it seems counterintuitive, but it is actually a very powerful thing to be able to acknowledge our pain, to own our pain, and to validate that it's it's real and it's it's not good or bad. It just is. And so, in that moment, just do the next thing. Counselor Connie Hagan is my guest today here on the Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Her book is called "Drinking the Cup You Are Served: Overcoming Trauma, Doubt, and Despair to Live Again," which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Connie, I want to give you. you I want to get into some of the uh, personal illustrations that you have in the book in just a moment, but I'll give you a case study based on what you just said because I have a pastor friend of mine who goes through this on a regular basis. He and his wife have three sons, and the middle son was born with a degenerative uh, ailment that wound up, uh, he went home with the Lord when he was about eight or nine years of age. And it hit both parents very, very hard, of course. And um, to this day, I mean, he's probably been home with the Lord longer than he was here on earth, but they still, you know, they keep his memory alive. They, uh, you know, social media, that type of stuff. And they get a lot of grief from their family saying, look, He's gone. He's in a better place. He's free from pain. You need to move on. And my question to you, I mean, because I'm, I'll play Switzerland here. I'm not, I've, I've never said, get over it or no, keep grieving it until you're done. But for a timeline, I, I've read some counselors say, you know, a couple of years is good. In this case, they literally have been grieving his death as long as he was alive. How, do, what do you say to a couple that's in that situation and they're getting disinvited to family events? You know, people are starting to say now, hey, we think it's been too long. What, what would your professional opinion be of a situation like that? Well, we have this thing in therapy that we call complicated grief, and it mm-hmm. looks a little different than the normal, what you would call a normal grieving process. Mm-hmm. And it looks, it looks very different. And oftentimes in complicated grief, people can get stuck. But unfortunately, I think in an attempt to try to help them get, quote, if you will, unstuck, it it, for, it pushes them further into their grief because mm. a lot of times people just want to be heard. They want to be seen and they want to be validated. And that's it. But we feel this need to fix people that yeah. if they're grieving, yeah. that somehow we've got to say something to make them feel better or say something to to move them further along when really all we need to do is just sit with them in a moment and acknowledge their pain and that it's real. And like I said, it does look different for everyone. And there are individuals who do, who do get stuck and it, it becomes more complicated. And in those circumstances, I think it's always best for those individuals to seek professional help, professional counseling. But as far as being supportive, I think our role is to be that like Jesus and to acknowledge the pain and, and, and sit with it, even if it's just for a moment. And then you, you, we have this famous saying that we say in counseling all the time, you can only manage yourself. You mm. can only manage your own response and not manage what they're doing and how they're mm-hmm. living through their own grief. I remember Pastor Rick Warren one time said, and it's a great little euphemism, and I like giving him credit for saying it. He said, when grief happens, as a Christian, you have two jobs. First is show up, and second is shut up. 
you know, basically yeah. just be there. And it's not, I, right. I kind of get the sense, Connie Hagan, that's what you're saying is the best thing we can yes. do first and foremost. Yeah. Yes, is to just acknowledge and validate and sit with someone in their pain. And it's, it's not easy to do, but we're called to do that. That's what Christ did. I think about the story of Zacchaeus when he sat with, um, when Jesus sat with Zacchaeus, he didn't call his sin out, nor did he give him a plan of how to walk in spiritual freedom. Jesus just sat with him. Hmm. He sat with him. He talked with him and loved him. And and transformation is supernatural. We're not responsible for it. That comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Talking with Connie Hagan today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Drinking the Cup You Are Served, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Cover Law used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Connie Hagan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, uh, a woman who, as a licensed counselor, who faced some terrible circumstances, and what made it worse is it seemed like she didn't really have any control over it. She's written a story about her experience. It's called Drinking the Cup You Are Served. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have a copy of the book to give away, and I encourage you to give us a call right now. Uh, Teresa and uh, Tam... Uh, Crystal are standing by. Actually, we have two copies of this book. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I think of uh, people who have lost loved ones recently in, and that death may have been preventable with better medical care, better retention of that person to their physical state. And oftentimes that's a challenge for the people who are remaining, you know, who survived uh, the fact that this person is no longer here. If that's the cup that you have, I encourage you to give us a call. We've got two copies of Connie Hagen's book, um, Drinking the Cup You Are Served, to give away, and you're going to find some healing in this book, I guarantee it. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, more of my conversation with counselor and author Connie Hagan talking about what happens when it seems like the cup that God has prepared for you or that God has allowed you to drink, the one you've been served, is pretty bitter. We'll talk about how to deal with that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Great counsel today here from Connie Hagan here on The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Her brand new book is called Drinking the Cup You Are Served, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. When someone goes through a crisis, a trauma, this, that, and the other thing, there are a lot of questions that people would ask. And I would imagine that probably the most common question someone would ask is, why did this happen to me? Why is it my kid? Why is it my marriage? Why was it my job? You know, there's a lot of whys in there. Um, I know you're not a big fan 
of the why question necessarily as far as counseling and healing goes. Um, talk about what makes that as ineffective as it is and what's a better question for someone to ask when they face a trauma? Well, I can't tell you how many times I was faced with that very same question. And they were really looking to me to answer that question in a means of helping their pain lessen mm -hmm. or to give them some kind of answers to why this did actually happen. And I would just look at them and I would tell them, you know, sometimes there just isn't a good answer. Right. We live in a broken, fallen world where, let's face it, bad things happen to good people. And so, but I would continue to talk to them about their faith and where their faith led them. So a better question to ask is, what do I believe? What do hmm. I believe to be true about God? Mm -hmm. What do I believe to be true about God in the midst of my pain? And when we begin to understand the nature and the character of God and that He doesn't exist within our circumstances, but He exists over and above them, that He is bigger and He is greater, that He can hear us, He will walk through us. But the tricky thing is, is often we don't feel that way. We don't hmm. feel that God is with us. But that's another thing I try to walk people through in this book, Drinking the Cup You Are Served, is feelings. Feelings just are. They're, they're not representations yeah, right. of truth, right? Mm -hmm. And just because you feel like God doesn't hear you or he isn't present doesn't mean that that's the truth. Can we see that through the Word of God? We see that through the, the Bible characters that we read about in the Word of God. And to, to know that he's with us and he hears us, that he sees the end result. He sees the bigger picture. We just have to have faith to believe that he will give us the courage to walk through the darkness, the sorrow, the despair that we may be in at the moment. Boy, that's powerful. I mean, the, the, the idea that we let something like this come into our lives and then ask a question, you know, more of a what as opposed to why is, has got to be so helpful. Connie Hagan is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We mentioned her book is called Drinking the Cup You Are Served. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Connie, let's talk about how this has personally impacted your life. I mean, I don't know if too many people who have the perfect pain-free life and then go into counseling ministry. So, you know, it's like there's some <laughs> catalyst that kind of drove you to maybe seek some help for yourself and then understand how to help others. Uh, there are a lot of personal stories in the book. I mean, how does your family feel about you kind of being dishonest with them? Yeah, you know, we had a saying in, uh, when, we, when I was in graduate school, we, we would ask each other, so what trauma brought you here? So <laughs> yeah, you're, exactly, yeah. you're exactly right. Generally, we kind of go into the field of therapy and counseling because we ourselves have had to walk through some kind of crisis or painful circumstance. And for me, that scripture, uh, um, help others with the help you, you yourself have received, mm -hmm. that, that is so power, powerful for me. And it's really what drove me to write this book. It's what drove me to become a therapist because I've had the privilege and the despair of walking through so many difficult circumstances. And the reason that I share those is to really bring hope that you can see through a personal journey of someone else that God was there, God brought them through, and in the rearview mirror, you can see even uh, healing and restoration and purpose and pain. So I have had to walk through uh, various uh, trials and tribulations in my life, and I've had the full support of my family. Matter of fact, I talk about my daughter's mental illness in one of the chapters, and she sat with me while I wrote that chapter. Hmm. And I really wanted to capture the essence of what that was like, not only for me, but for her as well. And my husband walked through early in our marriage addiction. He was a physician. And at the time in the 90s, mm -hmm. to be addicted was, was not like it is today, where people right. are like, good for you, get treatment. You know, mm -hmm. it's more like we had, it, it was shameful. 
And so uh, being able to watch his journey and to be able to share that just brings purpose again to, to that journey for himself and really for the, for both of us as well. And um, so I share several personal stories, all with the blessing of each family member that was involved in the story that I tell. I love that. Well, it's a it's definitely something that you have learned in the trenches as well as been able to see in the counseling office. And we're grateful that Connie Hagen has taken those steps. You know, you mentioned your husband's uh, addiction, and I was thinking about an interview I heard with Dick Van Dyke years ago where he was talking about uh, going to treatment for alcoholism, I think back in the Betty Ford Clinic days when it first started out. And he said, you know, back in the days, I mean, here I was trying to do everything I could to have a public image that I was okay, teaching Sunday school, all that stuff. But I had this problem and I thought it was going to torpedo my career. He says, nowadays, it's everything's reversed. And I, he said, I don't know if I'd have a career if I hadn't been an alcoholic. And I thought, well, that's that interesting how so many people now we wow. take mm-hmm. the vices and glorify them. And that's got to be really confusing for people who come into therapy and they're coming to you for counseling, Connie, and saying, I need help. But there's a part of me that says, yeah, but you know, this is, this is kind of glamorized. I mean, the, the strongholds in the culture are a lot different maybe than they were 20, 30 years ago. Take the final moments of our time together and talk about what they do to us in terms of media influences and people who, like you said, don't put shame attached to bad behavior anymore that leads to destruction in the family and the, in your emotional life. But then how we as Christians can kind of break free from these strongholds and really find the relief and the healing that we're looking for. Well, like I said earlier, nobody wants to feel pain. We all have different ways of how we try to manage that in our own strength. And I think as believers and as Christians, we've got to kind of step back and understand that that all pain isn't bad, that pain sometimes pushes us forward. It takes us on a journey. So many times it's about the journey and not the destination. So being able to sit back and allow God to move us on that journey is, is one of the most powerful things we can do. But I think as believers and as Christians today, we also need to open our minds to the fact that there is mental illness is not a weakness in your faith. It's not an inability to receive God's healing. That mental illness is, is something that is real. It affects our lives, and we need support, not only from a professional, but from our friends and family in the church and from our pastors. And that, unfortunately, a, a platitude of a scripture, though there is as powerful and as, as true as it is, can sometimes push for people further into their depression. Right, right. So again, to be able to sit with them and to be able to acknowledge their pain and to refrain from what the outside world is saying to stay, stay true, but also be open-minded to how the, the, the culture is shifting. And sometimes it's shifting in a good way. I do think that having um, alcoholism not be so shameful is a positive thing. Now, certainly we don't want to push people in the direction of addiction. Being able to own it and sit with it is good. And the same is true with mental illness. Mm -hmm. We want people to feel like it's okay to talk about it, that that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with your mind. It means that there's there's something in your brain that needs to be fixed, and we need to to address it in such a way so there's not so much shame. Mm. in uh, that discussion. Well, the title of this book is what compelled me to it first and foremost, even before I knew what it was about, just because I love the fact that, especially here during the Lenten season, we're going to be hearing that verse often when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, God, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. 
and the cup of you know the new covenant. I mean, there's so many different places where the the cup of blessing or the cup of well, you know, the other side of it. But if we're served that cup, there's a way that we can deal with the uh, the adverse effects of it and have it actually work to God's glory in our lives. And we're grateful for Connie Hagen for spending the time with us today here on the Bottom Line to talk about this brand new book called Drinking the Cup You Were Served. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. Connie, thanks for the work and thank you for being with us today here on the program. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, what a delightful conversation about a challenging subject. Connie Hagen has been my guest, as I mentioned today, here on the Bottom Line Show. The book is called Drinking the Cup You Have Served. We've got a couple of copies up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. Hey, before we go any further, I mean, it's Good News Friday, and we've got some good news to report uh, coming up just around the corner. More good news about uh, the event that's happening in Uganda right now. But I wanted to take a moment here and thank a couple of bottom line listeners who have reached out to us over the past couple of days with some pretty generous gifts to our friends at Preborn. Of course, Preborn is doing the remarkable and miraculous work of letting people know. here's, Here's what they're doing. They're telling women the truth about where they are in their pregnancy and what their options are if the pregnancy was not planned and they're thinking, oh gosh, what do I do? Go to a preborn clinic, you get a free pregnancy test, they do an ultrasound, that whole process costs them about 28 bucks to do, but they don't charge the woman who comes in. And then they explain what your options are. Congratulations, you're a mom. You can raise the kid and we'll help you figure out how to do that, whether you're single or married. Um, congratulations, you're going to be delivering a child and you can release that child for adoption. And there are scores, hundreds, thousands of adoptive families that are looking to adopt your child. And all you have to do is get connected with an attorney and go through the legal process who can help you find those people. Or the third option, place like People's Republic of California or Colorado is abortion is legal. And they tell you what all three options are. When a woman has an ultrasound done at a preborn clinic, 85% of the time she chooses door number one or door number two. I mean, that's just, that's the reality. She either says, I'm going to be a mom, I can do this, they've got resources to help me, or I'm going to release that child for adoption and this is best for my baby. We had a call from Hunter in Rancho Cucamonga uh, earlier this week who made a $40 donation. And Hunter, thank you so much. That saves at least one baby and puts us on the pathway to two. Doris from Riverside called in with a $500 donation. And Doris, thank you. That is huge. You divide that by $28 and you can figure out how many lives have been saved. And then yesterday, toward the end of the program, Thomas from Spring Valley uh, called in a donation of $140 per month. Now, that means Thomas's gift is going to go on in perpetuity. That's uh, going to save five children every single day or every single month, rather. Will you t- take these examples? Hunter, a $40 donation. We love that. Doris, a $500 one-time gift. We love that. Thomas, a $140 recurring monthly gift. How many babies can you save um, just giving from, and this is above and beyond what you normally contribute to your church. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229. Or go to kbrightradio.com or crawfordmediagroup.net. You'll find the preborn banner there. Just click on the banner and uh, you can follow the prompts there. Or we've also got that linked at rogermarsh.com as well. Good News Friday edition of the program continues on the other side of this break. Uh, Good news out of Uganda with regard to some kids who had been kidnapped and basically they were lured into this uh, uh, horrible situation under false pretenses. Uh, Told they were going to a Christian school and uh, it's an ugly story with a happy ending. It's coming up next as the bottom line continues. 
My thanks again to Connie Hagan for joining me today here on The Bottom Line for a conversation about her true story, about how her life crashed all around her suddenly, unexpectedly, and cruelly. And even though she is a licensed counselor, she faced some really terrible circumstances. And yet, as she slowly moved through weeks, months, and even years of struggle, uh, she discovered practicable, workable steps that she could take to live fully and freely again beyond any horrible circumstances she writes about it in her book called drinking the cup you are served there's a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com and we have two copies of the book that we're giving away right now 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I mentioned some good news that we're talking about here, and I, one of the good news stories is coming out of Uganda. There have been so many horrible stories coming out of places like Nigeria and, and uh, you know, and, and, and Uganda and places like this, where Christians are really under attack. We have we we've been inconvenienced for our faith here in the United States. These people are literally being persecuted and, in some cases, executed. And a praise report to share with you with regard to uh, Ugandan police actually kidnapping or capturing, capturing rather, and arresting two people who uh, had been uh, abducted. Um, these two people who were abducting children and taking them to different parts of the African continent. Uh, we found 40 of these kids now have been rescued. Here's the story. Police in Uganda arrested a couple of people in connection with the kidnapping of 40 Christian children who were lured by a Muslim guy who was posing as the leader of a Christian charity. And again, remember, Lucifer masquerades as an angel of light. I mean, sometimes when you see deception that's just horrible, you know, sexually degrading, this, that, and the other thing, it's provocative, it's carnal, it's all right there. Those are sins that are just like, okay, I mean, people are given to that and the the older you get and the more mature in your faith you get, the easier it is to spot that and say, I don't have to give in to that one. I really honestly don't. And it's nice to be in that situation. It really is. The danger spots for us as Christians is what happens when that person infiltrates the church and does such a good job of portraying themselves as being a minister of the gospel that they wind up ripping you off or stealing your children or in some cases leading to your death. Um, initial investigations in Arua, which is in the West Nile subregion in northwest Uganda, they allege that a 27-year-old guy by the name of Soraji Sabiri, who is a Muslim, had lured some children to a hotel, and the premise was there are scholarships available to you, uh, and it, we're part of this Christian charity that is offering educational opportunities. Now, if you've ever supported World Concern or Child Care Worldwide or some of these other organizations that actually do this, then you know that this is pretty commonplace. They'll send people in who are ambassadors, if you will, emissaries for the ministry to work with the locals. And what African nation does not have a problem like this? I mean, American, Canadian, Mexican, I mean, there, there's an issue like this just about everywhere in the world, but it seems like in, in the uh, developing nations and developing parts of the world, uh, Middle East and things like that, there are more opportunities not only to do good educationally, but also to have people use that cloak of doing good for not really doing so good. 
And in this case, here's a Muslim guy, 27 years of age, presents himself as a representative from a Christian charity and says to parents and to children, here's the deal. I, I, we, we've got this opportunity for you. Meet us at this hotel and we'll give you all the details, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you, you, your kids will have a good education. There's a movie that was made by a church. I believe it was the uh, Friends Church in Yorba Linda back in 2012, 2013, called Not Today. You remember that movie? I remember seeing it. It was one of the first movies we did a review for here on the Bottom Line Show. And I remember seeing it and thinking, this is really impressive. There was a guy uh, who was in that movie who plays the American kind of voice of reason. He's the kid who, these four American guys go and they're backpacking across someplace in Africa, just have thrill-seeking and adventure running. And one day they go out and they have a little too much party time. And the other guys decide they're going to go out and go on like some expedition or something like that. And they leave their buddy at home to sleep it off. He gets up and he's wandering through town and he's looking for them. And he just happens upon a man who's literally uh, selling his daughter to a, a slave trader. And what's interesting about it is when you listen to the dialogue, that's not what they're saying. They're not saying that that's what's happening. What the guy is telling the father is, I will pay you an amount of money. You know, you're poor. She's a daughter. You won't be able to provide a dowry for her. She will get education, et cetera, et cetera. I can get her to school and I will give you money for the privilege of letting me take her to school or you pay me sometimes. It's even worse. And what happens then is the girl winds up in a sweatshop and this kid kind of becomes us and, and we start following how easy it is for a family, a very well-meaning family in a place like Africa to inadvertently allow their kids to be sold into sex trade. In this case here, this is highly plausible that something like this would happen. The fact that it, this was going on in Arua, there was a pastor in Arua who heard about the scam from church members. The church members said, hey, there's this group that called themselves a Christian organization. They are registering kids for scholarships for a school in the Luero district in central Uganda. It turns out that Saraji Sabiri is a resident of that district. So the parents made use of the opportunity to register for the offer for free scholarships. And on February 2nd, an elder in the church informed the pastor that many children from the church had been taken to the Continental Hotel in Arua town in West Nile subregion. And that's when the pastor took action. He said, I got concerned because we don't know of a charity. We don't know of a school and we're here. He said, I rang police to go check on the children because I wasn't involved in what was going on. And when the officers did arrive at the scene, they found the children, 40 of them, ages five to 16. And what had happened is the children had quote unquote registered for the school and this scholarship opportunity. Instead, what they had done is they had booked themselves on a bus heading to the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the pastor said, we discovered then that the young man who was present, pretending to be a Christian man who was a part of a Christian charity that was doing this school actually was a Muslim. He was sending these uh, girls, these children, to slave traders in the Democratic Republic of Congo to be sold into the sex trafficking business. It's amazing to find these kids that young and so when the police got there, the first thing they did was they started asking him, where are you going? And what's very interesting 
is to hear his response as to not only where they were going, but how he responded and how they were able to apprehend him. I want to share that with you on the other side of this break as this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line continues in a moment. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. You have just a couple moments left to get in on our drawing here for two copies of Connie Hagen's outstanding book, Drinking the Cup You Are Served. It's a perfect Easter time book. When we think about Jesus praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Father, if it be your will, let this cup, knowing that this is the cup of bitterness, the cup of death that he was going to have to drink, the cup of the cross, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. And Connie Hagen went through a situation that was just a real mind-blowing one for her. As someone who was a counselor who was designed to help people go through grief and suffering, she was facing a season that went on for years of grief and suffering that gave her a whole new appreciation for how to drink the cup that you are served. And she wrote about it in a brand new book that has that title. We've got two copies of the book to give away, 800 227 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Taking a look at this fascinating rescue of 40 Ugandan children who were rescued by a a Christian church, a pastor uh, in town that was alerted by members of his elder board that there were some, uh, there was a couple of uh, malcontents in the uh, 'er ne'er-do-wells, as they would say, who had been taken to the Continental Hotel in Arua Town in West Nile subregion, and the uh, under the premise that they would be offered uh, scholarships for uh, quality Christian education through a Christian charity, and it turned out the young man who was representing himself as a rep from the charity was actually a Muslim who was looking for recruits that he was going to sell into sex trafficking. And so when the uh, city commissioner of Arua, who was in charge of the government forces, Alice Achilio is her name said when she found the children, the authorities were tipped off that, hey, there's a bunch of kids from our church, a local pastor found, at this hotel. They called the police. The police showed up. They found 40 kids, many of them as young as five years of age, at the hotel, and they thought they were registering for school. They actually were buying bus tickets to the Democrat Republic of Congo. And so they asked this guy, who are you and where are you going? And she said, at first, Sabiri said he was taking the children to Al-Rahman Islamic Primary and Secondary School in Bombo Luero District. But after a lengthy interrogation, it was discovered there's no such school 
with that name. Uh, he was then arrested, and uh, it, it turned out that he had actually traveled 475 kilometers, about 300 miles, to northwest Uganda from the Wakizo district just to carry out the scheme. He was arrested along with Salima Garia, a 28-year-old Muslim woman who appeared in court in Arua and was remanded to jail along with Sabiri. The charges are pending. Can you imagine what this impact would have been on this church and this community if these kids had been abducted and if they had done it that way? Now, here's the thing. We talk a lot about the African nations and how many of them are majority Muslim, but Uganda's different. And this is where I think it's so insidious and even bold and brazen for uh, Muslim is uh, Islamists, as it were, Muslim extremists, to come into this area. Uh, whereas a place like Niger is 95 to 96% Muslim, Uganda is only 12%. And there are high concentrations in the eastern areas of the country, not in the west. So the idea that the enemy would come into a Christian area and target Christian children to recruit them to be trafficked for sex and for uh, labor and, and other reasons why they would be trafficked. This is such a great praise report. And Lord, we thank you for rescuing these 40 children. We thank you for the work of uh, uh, the pastor in the Luero district who was able to um, make this happen for the city commissioner and all the police who acted accordingly, letter of the law, and uh, did what needed to be done to rescue these kids. We give you honor and glory and praise in Jesus' precious and powerful name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, for those who listen on KCBC, we thank you for tuning in today as always and enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus uh, coming up next. And don't forget Bottom Line Extra at 7 p.m. and Bottom Line Rewind again Monday at 10.30. For those who remain on the network, another Good News Friday story, this one involving the chief of police of New York City, who's now the mayor of New York City, saying we need to put prayer in school back in New York City. That's a great story coming up next as the bottom line continues. Good news, good news, good news. Welcome to this Good News Friday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh and happy 24th of March, whatever that means. Uh, don't forget, if you're a Bottom Line listener here on Cambridge in Southern California, you still have time. I encourage you to uh, check this out. Uh, since uh, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, is coming up on April the 9th, that's just a couple of weeks away. We have been talking a lot about the resurrection and what it means to you. And I know a lot of people in the body of Christ have, I'm be, let's be perfectly honest with you, I've made this kind of a mission of mine whenever I hear a church saying, well, I love being part of this church because my pastor preaches the gospel. And what they really mean is they teach expositionally out of the scripture, verse by verse. Well, you're not exactly preaching the gospel if you're just reading the Bible verse by verse. The gospel is very specific. I mean, we have gospel accounts of you know the life of Jesus and you can see it all throughout scripture and I think the gospel narrative is that it arcs all the way through all 66 books of the Bible but when you talk about the gospel specifically it here's the good news God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son why that whosoever would perish who would ever believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life which insinuates that who does not believe in Jesus would uh, not would have eternal death but we need the good news of the gospel, because the gospel is there's sin in the world. You were born, I mean, sin entered through man, through the sin of Adam and Eve, and the whole of mankind has been scourged by this. Creation has been, human beings have been. When Jesus Christ stepped into, from eternity into time, it was God saying, okay, enough. 
I am creating a plan for you to reestablish relationship with me. And here's the plan. Jesus is going to go to the cross, going to bear the entire weight of all of the sin of all of mankind on him. Take that to the cross. His body will die, but then he will be resurrected because he can't die. He lives forever, and he conquered death and hell. And now the penalty has been paid in the same way in the Old Testament that lambs were offered as sacrifices for sin and atonement, goats and things like that, and uh, blood on the doorpost to Passover every year. Now Jesus says, I'm, you know, there's a new covenant and it's in my blood, meaning I will be, my blood will be shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. We remember that in the words of institution when we take uh, communion every time we do. Hopefully that's what your pastor's saying. When they, I mean, I've heard a lot of pastors say, you know, we do this because we remember Jesus' death and it's kind of symbolic. So have your cracker and have your juice and let's go. And I really appreciate the pastors who will say in the night in which he was betrayed, we call it Maundy Thursday into Good Friday. You know, technically it's Good Friday because in the Jewish way of calculating day and night, uh, the day begins when the sun goes down. And as soon as it's nighttime, that's technically the start of the next day. So you can celebrate that uh, last Supper and that first Eucharist either on Monday, Thursday or Good Friday and you're fine. But the idea, they say, in the night in which he which was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body given for you. A lot of people will say broken for you, but uh, the actual text does say given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper again, he took the cup, which was filled with wine. He gave thanks and he gave it for all to drink. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood instead of the old covenant in the blood of a lamb or a ram or a goat the new covenant in my blood which is shed for all people so if anybody's wondering did jesus just die for christians and a lot of pastors will say well of course because that's who's going to be in heaven but when jesus said this is the blood that is shed for all people it's a universal atonement but here's the thing the only people who will benefit from the atonement are the people who believe and receive that gift of salvation. In the same way that the only people who would benefit from a million dollars in the bank with an account with their name on it is the people who go to the bank and actually withdraw it. So that universal thing, did Jesus die for everybody? No, he didn't because not everyone's going to heaven, doesn't hold up. But did he die to pay the penalty for the sin of mankind? Yes, he did. The question is the people who will be in heaven rejoicing with him are the ones who say, I believe that. I need that. And I receive that. So that's good news. So what the resurrection means to me and what it means to a lot of Christians is eternal life. The fact that Jesus died is historically accurate and factual, but the fact that he rose again, hundreds of people witnessed the fact that after he was crucified, dead and buried, they saw him walking around. And hundreds of people saw him ascend into heaven where he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. We do have eyewitness accounts from one of the most reliable documents ever recorded, which is the Bible. So what does the resurrection mean to you? You hear me talking about it here on the radio all the time. You hear the pastors like Steve Craig and everything. We want to hear from you. We have a special resurrection hotline set up, 800-227-2337. It's different from our prize giveaway line. Uh, 800-227-2337. You can call Crystal or Teresa. They answer that phone too. And they'll be happy to walk you through the process of how you can share what the resurrection means to you 
with us. Now, if you are computer savvy and you, you, you could figure this out on your own, go to kbrightradio.com, use the contact us page and just write it out. Give us your name. Let us know how we can reach out to you. I think they have goodies that they're giving. I, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for Teresa and Crystal on this one, but they may have something to give away. They may. Um, anyway, would love for you to be involved in this. And then of course, we'll be sharing these all throughout the, uh, the Lenten season. And I think it's just wonderful that we're doing so. You know, speaking of sharing, I love to hear people of faith talk about their faith in the public square. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I also love to hear people who, if you don't know if they're Christians or not, still use the public platform that they have to build faith. They understand that religious liberty really is the bedrock of our society. I mean, without going too deep on this one, let's face it. We talk about the First Amendment, how important it is to have freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And again, it's freedom of religion, not freedom of worship. We had a president a couple presidencies ago. President 44 tried to change all the language in the literature for new citizens and whatever. He used to often talk about freedom of worship, not freedom of religion. And there's an important distinction to make here. Freedom of religion says you are a Christian or you are a Jew or you are a Muslim or whatever. And everywhere you go, you are that person. Freedom of worship means if there is a designated house of worship, you have the freedom to go there and worship. But once you leave that place, you don't carry your faith with you. Freedom of religion means that you are a Christian wherever you go. Freedom of worship means you get to be a Christian at the church that the government recognizes as a sanctioned church. It was a subtle little dig that President 44 made at the Constitution, mercifully, and after seven years in office, someone in the Senate picked up on it. It was a little typographical switch that happened in the 44-page Cliff Notes edition of the handout that was being given to new citizens who were being naturalized and uh, you know, becoming legal immigrants and then American citizens. They said, why did we change freedom of religion to freedom of worship? And so rather quietly, unbeknownst to a lot of people, except the watchful eyes here at the bottom line and other places, we noticed, hey, wait a minute, you can't just take this away. I mean, that's not what the Constitution says, but also think about this bedrock of religious liberty as being the platform for everything else working. Any kind of goodness and decency and morality that happens in the legal sense happens because people have the right to be religious people. To the irreligious, anything goes. It's licentiousness. Whatever feels good. If it feels good, do it. If you're, quote unquote, not hurting anybody, then it's no big deal. But if you're doing it and somebody doesn't like you doing it, then you come after them with a bully club and say, you can't tell me I can't do it because this that hurts me. You know, when the, this whole speech is violence stuff is interesting. That's the kind of mentality that said, I'm afraid of Christian prayer in schools. But we can have a, uh, uh, you know, aiming at Mecca, a prayer room and cloths and things like that for Muslims, that's fine. But those Christians are dangerous. Remember that old thing? How did we get to the point where in 1962, the Supreme Court ruled in Engel versus Fatal that school-sponsored prayer in public schools violated the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment? There was a 22-word non-denominational prayer that was recommended to school districts by the New York Board of Regents. Here's the prayer 
that got school prayer eventually kicked out of public school. Quote, Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence on thee and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian and you hear Almighty God, what does that mean? Well, we know it's the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, the creator of heaven and earth. But what if you aren't? What if you're Jewish? Same God. What if you're Muslim? Well, they do believe in a God-like being. I mean, I don't know of too many people who would be offended today by acknowledging our dependence on a higher power and asking for blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. But that got a bunch of people all twisted up in knots. The practice of the prayer was voluntary. Students could be excused from the prayer with a written request from their parents. And that's when the Union Free School District in New York, New Hyde Park, New York, adopted the recommendation. And so when that happened, some of the parents, including a guy called Stephen Engel, argued that it was a violation of the First Amendment. He said pushing faith out of the education system, well, it was actually going to be a good thing. Well, we know what happens now. Sure, all sorts of jokes have been made about, you know, there's as long as there are pop quizzes, there will always be prayer in school, that type of stuff. But recently, there was a gathering in New York at the Office of Faith-Based and Community Partnerships. They held an annual interfaith prayer breakfast at the New York Public Library's reception hall. The office was created by New York City Mayor Eric Adams, the former police chief of New York City. And it kind of mimics something that happened during the Obama administration. I believe that that's, they created a, something similar to this there. The idea that faith-based and community groups would get together and they would form the kind of partnerships that they do. That's usually a good sign when you can see that faith groups that are doing good in the, in the country and in the community have the opportunity to partner with governmental agencies to run soup kitchens and homeless shelters and stuff like that. that, that, that it's a good thing, and it's a nice uh, non-denominational, ecumenical type of thing for people at different faith groups to get together. It doesn't mean that Christians are going to hell for working with Muslims or whatever just because they say we're Christian, we're being Christian, and this is what we're doing. But during his comments, his remarks at the breakfast, Mayor Adams said some things that were really interesting because they were contrary to the predecessor who established this on the national level. But also, it really reinforced the fact that praying to the God of the Bible actually has more benefit than does more harm. Going to hear those comments coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash wilsonfinancial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to this Good News Friday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're taking a look at the mayor of New York City's comments at the annual interfaith breakfast at New York Public Library's reception hall. This happened a couple of weeks ago. And Mayor Adams actually got into a bit of hot water. I mean, this is, he founded the Office of Faith-Based and Community Partnerships in New York City right after he was elected mayor last year. And what's interesting is that he has been urging faith leaders to be bold in exercising their faith in the public square. Okay, fair enough. I mean, that's a good politician thing to do and to say. But then he took it a step further. He said, when you confine the exercise of faith to houses of worship, society in general is being, it's denied, being denied its power as a force for good. Now, that is a direct rebuke, if you will, of President Obama's comments when he was in office, where he tried to subtly change the First Amendment language from freedom of religion to freedom of worship. Mayor Adams said, and I quote, when I was growing up in South Jamaica and Queens, I was learning how to box, and every time I would get in the ring, I would lose my fight. My trainer would say, Eric, the problem with you is not that you're not fighting well, it's that you leave your best fight in the gym. You're supposed to take your best fight into the ring with you. And I believe that that's what happened with many of us. The synagogue is the gym. The church is the gym. The sick temple is the gym. The mosque is the gym. You're there for your training, but you're not to leave your best worship in the gym. And then he noted that many social ills challenging communities today could be alleviated by people leading more faith based and faith-filled lives. I'm quoting the mayor here. We would not have a crisis of domestic violence if we had not taken prayer out of schools. When we took prayer out of schools, guns came into schools. So the reflection point of today, when we do an analysis of these annual coming together is this, are we going to leave our best fight in the gym? Are we finding ways to really take a look at what we took at in the gym and bring it into the real fight. In other words, if you're telling Christians you're only allowed to pray at church, if you're telling Muslims you're only allowed to pray in the mosque, if you're telling Jews you're only allowed to pray in the synagogue and not allowing people to pray in the public square, then maybe, just maybe, that's the reason why, as he said, when we took prayer out, the guns came in. Wow. Uh, Mayor Adams went even further. He said, pushing faith out of the education system has helped to fuel despair that people increasingly struggle with every day. Quote, we have become so modernized that our new response is to act like we don't see the despair that people are experiencing every day. We've become so hip, so cool, so Instagram-ish, so Facebook-ish, so Twitter-ish that we have TikToked our way out of the humanity that we've always known. And then we say to ourselves, what's wrong with these kids? Well, let me tell you something about being a child. Children look for indicators that they are moving in the right direction. You ever see your baby when all of a sudden they're doing something wrong and they look over and they peep up at you to see what's going on? And now when they peep to see if something on is going wrong, they find it's really their parents are doing the same thing. We need to build children that's better for our world. And we have to be honest about that. We have abandoned the role of what it means to be a parent. 
Um, it's interesting that the executive director of the uh, New York City Office of Faith-Based and Community Partnerships is the lead pastor of the historic Mount Zion Church of God Seventh-day Adventist Church, Guilford Monrose. And he is supporting the mayor in this effort. Mayor Adams does uh, portray himself. He professes as a Christian, though he says no specific denomination. But he says, I know that it's because of God and the faith community that I have come to this situation. I'm here, he says, because of the faith-based institution. You don't take this journey on your own. I strongly believe in all my heart that God said, I'm going to take the most broken person and elevate him to the place of being the mayor of the most powerful city on the globe. He said, quite frankly, being a mayor could have been anywhere. I could be the mayor of Topeka, Kansas. I could be the mayor of a small town or a village somewhere. But when God says, I'm going to take this broken child, an individual who's the epitome of mistakes a human being can make in a lifetime, and I'm going to elevate him to the most important city in the country, that's God. That's not man. That is only God. And that's why we proclaim that this city, New York City, is a place where the mayor of New York is a servant of God. That's powerful. Hugely powerful. And I'm so grateful that uh, uh, this is going to be the hallmark of Mayor Adams' faith. Now, of course, the ACLU has a New York chapter. The new NYCLU uh, says that there's a problem with his speech. Uh, we think that uh, Mayor Adams would need a refresher course on the First Amendment. He's sworn to uphold the Constitution, and the Constitution, well, in matters of faith, he's entitled to his own beliefs, but he can't let that determine how he governs New York City. Actually, it's really impossible to separate the two, isn't it? I mean, your faith is who you are. And hopefully we make good decisions based on our faith. But kudos to Mayor Eric Adams for speaking boldly about his Christian faith, and only time will tell if that faith is something that will literally become sight and will benefit um, the, the good people of the city of New York City. Hey, let's take a quick break, and as we continue, I want to uh, finalize the weekend here, send us off the week with a smile on our faces about those times when, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, Connie Hagen's book, you know, Drinking the Cup, that uh, God has poured for you or God has allowed you to drink, even when it might taste a little bitter. What happens when you're part of an organization, you're part of a team, you're part of a unit, and then all of a sudden the unit falls apart, and you have to ask the question, am I going to go it alone or am I going to drop out too? I'm going to tell you the inspiring story of Katrina Cole, a 17-year-old senior at Merrill High School in Nebraska, who was part of the cheerleading squad. And for one reason or another, the it's a pretty small group of girls. Uh, they only had five of them. The other four were not able to make it to the state competition at the last minute. So Katie had a decision or Katrina rather, am I going to go to the competition on my own or stay home? Well, she decided to go it alone and we'll tell you what happened as a result of this coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But 
The first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Good News Friday, wrap it up with a story that's going to put a smile on your face and maybe, just maybe, might feel an awful lot like where you are in your faith right now. Does it feel like you're kind of the only person, maybe in your family or on the job or in your community that has a Christian faith? Well, let me encourage you to follow the example of a young woman by the name of Katrina Cole, who basically wound up becoming a squad of one at a recent cheerleading competition, the Nebraska State Cheer and Dance Competition. Uh, It's not something that you would ordinarily do, but... Katrina was part of a group of five girls that were part of this team that actually qualified for the state championship. And then at the last minute, for some unforeseen circumstances, the other four members of the squad had to bow out. They weren't able to, some reports said they quit. Others reports said they just weren't able to, to make a go of it. So Katrina had a choice. I mean, they had worked so hard to make it to the state finals. And she really wanted to compete but it's kind of hard to be a cheerleading squad when there's only one of you. Or is it? Remember back in the old days when cheerleading meant the group of girls and guys would get up in front of the crowd, and what did they do? They led cheers. They encouraged the crowd to cheer on the team or the individual who was out there competing, and it was a lot of fun. My mom was a song leader in high school, or I should say she was the song leader. They had fight songs that they would sing, and she'd stand up there with a megaphone in front of the student body and lead them in singing. But now the cheerleading industry has kind of become more of crazy dances and acrobatics. I mean, it's really spectacular to watch, but it doesn't really have a lot of uh, a lot to do with actually leading people in cheers. But cheer squads and cheer competitions are a big deal. By the way, Marill, Nebraska is where the girls were from the squad from. Marill High School actually qualified in the smaller schools division for the state cheerleading competition. uh, Marill has a population of 930, okay? And there were 115 teams competing that day. It's very interesting because... So Katrina basically plays on the school basketball team as well. She looks like she's kind of a tall girl in the pictures I've seen. Uh, she's also in track and she plays volleyball and basically she said, you know, it's, it's a small town. So if you want to do a lot of these things, you do all of them. Well, Katrina met with her cheer coach, April Ott, and, and said, okay, what are we going to do? Said, well, you worked this hard for this. 
She said, I want to compete on my own. And April said, okay. So I went home and thought about it. We'd already paid for the fees. We already had the hotel rooms. And so we just, we went. She said, this is a young lady who came to the cheer squad four years ago and really had to learn a lot. She stepped into a leadership role on the team. She's the how can I help you type of person on the squad. And so she went out. There's video that we'll put up at the bottomlineshow.com of her basically leading the crowd in cheer and the crowd went nuts. I mean, they went absolutely nuts. The crowd just absolutely loved it. She wasn't nervous. She got up there and she said, I got this. She's jumping and she's cheering and this, that, and the other thing. She said, I walked out first because they announced the name of the team and I waved and everybody waved back and they said, oh, wow, they know who, what's going on here. And then she said, I was a little nervous when I first got on the court, but then I started doing my thing. And afterwards she said, you know, it was really nice to be able to go the distance and stand up and do what I was called to do in that moment. And just because the others weren't there, I don't have any animosity toward them. I just did my thing. By the way, she won her division. She won over the crowd. And the video has been seen millions of times on social media. So here's the question. Do you feel like Katrina Cole? Like you are part of a group in the body of Christ and yet you're the only one leading cheers for God? You're the only one living out biblical values? Well, guess what? Here's the good news. God is not looking at the numbers you draw in. He's not looking at how much money you make. He's not looking at how many people you quote unquote win to Christ. Here's what he's looking to do. Are you on the team? Yes. Are you called to go here? Yes. Be obedient, be faithful and serve him. Let him worry about the reward. Let him worry about the details. Katrina Cole wasn't thinking about winning a state championship. She was going out there to represent her team and to do what she felt called to do. And she did it. Job well done. Mission accomplished, Katrina. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is good news. And that's the bottom line.